0: This is a Triple J podcast. (laughs) Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. If you've ever seen a picture of a spithood, pretty confronting stuff. They're those sack-like things that were used in the past on adults and children behind bars. But even though many parts of the country have banned their use on people who've been arrested legally, it's still possible. And those who've experienced the trauma of spit hoods are saying it's time for this to be outlawed nationwide. We need to crack down. Coming up, later, you're going to hear from some people with first hand experiences of spit hoods. We'll also be talking to experts. Find out whether laws do need to be tightened. First, though, a surfing controversy.
1: Hack. Women can enter, so it's not unfair. But when you have a mixed division like that, the chances of a man winning the money is like a lot higher
2: on Triple J.
0: Surfing is really one of the iconic sports of Australia, isn't it? So many of you get behind it. And there's huge interest in men's and women's surfing. Big names like Mick Fanning, Steph Gilmore, Joel Parkinson, Sally Fitzgibbons. And there's comps held around the country, including one next month on the Gold Coast called the Kira Longboard Classic. Now, it's offering $5,500 prize money, but a professional surfer, Lucy Small, was kind of frustrated that... It was a mixed category, and she asked for a separate women's division and the prize money to be split between the two. The organisers didn't agree, so Lucy and a group of women surfers jumped in, snapped up most of the spots. So now it's kind of turned into a women's division by default, really. Lucy Small, who is also behind the Equal Pay for Equal Play campaign, is with me now. G'day, Lucy. Welcome to Hack.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
0: This is really blown up, hasn't it? Why did you think it was important to make a stand here?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting. Like, in surfing, it's kind of... Because it's not a contact sport and, you know, it's not like a swimming race or whatever where you're kind of measuring things on time and it, it's it got a really subjective element to it and the way different ways that men and women approach surfing, um, one of the biggest things over the years has been to actually value the way women approach surfing in the same way that we value men surfing, but for its differences. And, and, and you know, to, to kind of not be comparing them, but rather celebrating women surfing as its own unique thing. And so when the Kira Longboard Classic announced that they were having $5,500 prize money, but it was for only one division, I kind of thought, you know, this is a step back because it's it's trying to go okay, well anyone can enter it and and like it's not going to be unfair and that kind of thing because men and women can enter it, but then we're we're going it removes that kind of uniqueness for women surfing and it's comparing it directly against men surfing and in that circumstance like the chances of men winning are are much higher.
0: Can you explain, Lucy, for those who don't know much about surfing, what the difference is? Like, you talked about difference in the way men and women approach it, the different styles. Are men at a big physical advantage?
1: Yeah, it's in some regard, like in longboarding, for example... <laughs> this is quite technical and it's I, I want to try and explain it in a way that makes sense to people that aren't particularly knowledgeable of surfing. But so in longboarding, there are two kind of disciplines within that discipline, which is high-performance longboarding. That's a board with three fins that is, like, designed for doing big turns and really an, a more aggressive approach to surfing. And then there's logging, which is, like, a more traditional approach in logging and traditional um, longboarding women can often be better than men <laughs> and if people place value on what women can do in shortboarding it is a lot more about strength because there's sort of this aerial element to it and so it's you kind of when you watch like the championship tour of the pro shortboarders you, you we don't want to watch a heat between say Steph Gilmore and Gabe Medina a brazilian like aerial specialist because Steph Gilmore is not a worse surfer than Gabe Medina, but Steph Gilmore surfs with so much flair and so much style. It's actually not comparable. So it's kind of a complicated thing, but it's quite technical, but in the end, it's like they're not comparable. So
0: I don't think we should really put them in a division together. So, can you explain what happened uh, for the entries when you decided, hold on, we are going to enter, we're going to enter in big numbers. Was it like a coordinated attack? The women just got in quick and snapped up all the spots?
1: Yeah, so it had actually been open for quite a while before... um, The entries had been open for a while before we did this and no-one had entered yet. So they announced the prize money last week. And a couple of friends of mine, we were texting about it going, oh, this is such a bummer. Like, wh- why don't they just have a women's division, you know? Because you kn- you just know that they call it an open pro division. But what they're trying to do is attract men. And I could see, like, comments on their Facebook page of, you know, tra- of who they were trying to attract. And it was, like, these, these men. And no mention of, like, the female pros or anything. And so then... We were like, okay, well, maybe we could actually try and get lots of women to enter. And I actually told the sponsor that I wanted to do it. And I don't think he believed me (laughs) that I would be able to do it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I basically, I started an Instagram group chat. And I just added in like eight friends that I know. And if you can think of anyone that might be interested, um, just add them into the group. And so then everyone started adding their friends in and there was just like more and more people coming into this group and there was like 60 people in this Instagram group chat and it's like... The most hype girl place on the internet. Like everyone's just so excited. Like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna do it! And it was like so good, and (laughs) it was actually so nice because it's it's not really often that you come together with other female surfers to coordinate to try and make a change, you know. And so it was just really supportive and really exciting. And um, and then everybody started to enter, and we were going like, okay, there's five places left. Okay, there's four places left and then it was coming down and we were like I felt like it was like an auctioneer I was going like okay we've got five places left we've got four places left we've got three <laughs> places left and <laughs> everyone was so excited and then it, the division was full and we looked at the list of who had entered and then one man had entered
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with the one guy
1: yeah so he's this really amazing guy called Clint and he is a great surfer. He used to be on the world tour. He's from the Gold Coast and he honestly like I'm so glad that it was him that did it because he's such a wonderful person and we were like, hey, what do we do? And so we added him into the group chat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Clint's like, what's going on?
1: <laughs> and um, and he, yeah, he's so lovely and I, honestly like I just did not want, no one wanted to like pressure him to withdraw or anything like that because he's entered fair and square and that's the whole point, right? It's like anyone could enter so we're all entering and if someone else has entered we can't then not want them in it you know and so then yeah a few hours later he said I'm with you I think there should be a women's division I um, support you and I'm going to withdraw and I'll enter in, in some of the other divisions and come down with my wife and daughter and cheer for you and stuff so really really nice to have his support and um, yeah really really glad how it went down.
0: It's been a wild few days for you. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Aussie pro surfer Lucy Small about um, this huge campaign that she kick-started in terms of uh, making sure women were recognised in a big um, surfing event to be held next month. Lucy, we're about to speak to the organiser of this comp, but I've seen some comments uh, around from him earlier today where he said, you know, you've hijacked this on a political basis rather than actual ability. How do you respond to that?
1: I I feel like I don't really agree with the idea that we've hijacked it on a political basis because if you're going to say that coordinating between a group of women to enter into an event is hijacking for a political reason, like... It doesn't really reflect what we have actually done because if it was a women's division and, say, we were like, okay, we really want to get lots of people at this event and I started a group chat and we got 16 women to enter, that wouldn't be anything political, right? And we have just done that with an open division. And I feel like maybe it has just kind of surprised some people who were expecting it to be all men. And that's kind of like where you, uh, I mean, you have to do a little bit of (laughs) critical thinking, I think, to realise, Okay, if it was all men who entered, no-one would say anything. So why are we saying something if it's all women that entered? And if you don't want all women in the division, then give us our own division with equal prize money. Um, And if you reject the idea of women entering and and taking over this division, then join us in our calls for um, equal opportunity and equal prize money. And if there's anybody who is feeling like they wish they had the opportunity to do the event and they don't want to show up unless they can enter into a division with prize money then now that they know what it's like to be in our position and i hope that people can realize that and realize that this shows it's not the way that surf events should be and that um having men's and women's divisions with equal prize money should be a non negotiable for setting up an event and um i've spoken with Sean and spoken with organizers now and um I I can feel their support, and I think you know this is really wonderful coverage for their event, and. It is a really great community event. They have, you know, they have the surfability division. They have ADF divisions. Like, they really are making an effort for it to be something really wonderful for the community. And I hope that this is actually just adding to that.
0: we Will definitely be getting a lot of attention, uh, Lucy Small. There's going to be a lot of people keen to see what's going to play out with this particular competition. Lucy Small, surfer. Thank you very much for joining us on Hack.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
0: We got a lot of messages coming through on the text line mixed opinions someone says if you're good enough you could win male or female best surfer wins another person i think this is possibly the most ideal situation to have mixed sports competition but then we got someone else for sport to be fair you need male female and mix someone else says i got the top comment on the tiktok yeah there was viral tiktoks on on this uh, lucy had up Someone says, I got the top comment on TikTok about the surfing comp. This is feminism and I'm here for it. That was from Joe. Another person says, yeah, good protest. Go the girls. Another one says, go the girls. Someone else. I wholly disagree with Lucy's view of it. Women's unique take on surfing is exactly what makes it superior to men's surfing. She's looking at it as a disadvantage, which is the problem. All right. Well, let's speak to the event director of the Kira Longboard Classic, the organiser. Sean McEwen's with us now. G'day, Sean. Thanks for coming on Hack.
3: Yeah, happy to be with you. This has blown up, hasn't it? You've been getting a lot of calls today. Been getting a lot of calls, a lot of entries. It's great. We're getting heaps of interest, uh, a lot more than we normally do. So, quite happy with that.
0: Okay. I mean, you know, there's uh, been a lot of discussion around this event, Um, not all of it kind of positive. The big question people are going to have is why couldn't there have been a separate women's division?
3: Well, we went out uh, at the beginning of the year approaching sponsors to actually do a separate men's and women's division. And, um, yeah, times are tough. It's very hard uh, to get good sponsorship in longboard surfing as it is. We weren't able to get a decent sponsor. and We weren't even going to run a pro division. So uh, when I got approached uh, from Steve, he wanted to get involved a bit more. He's always supported us with a uh, board to give away. And he said, you know, we'll get in and we'll help you do a pro division. But yeah, you know, he once again he hasn't got a great deal of money. So I said, look, what we do is we have an open division. Yeah, anyone can enter. Yeah, we'll take it from there.
0: But would it make sense to split the prize money? I know it's not a huge amount of money, but it's still something worth competing for, right? If you split it in half.
3: No, I, I feel embarrassed with the fact that our prize pool's still so small. I mean, we're talking trying to attract world class competitors, and that you know some of these. People have won world titles that we've yeah you know, hoped to have coming. Others have been Australian champions. Yeah, if you're going to try and get the best surfers there, and you're only offering pennies, you're not going to attract them.
0: You've made some comments saying you had the one division. To be fair, it was open to men and women. I'm wondering, do you understand Lucy and the other women's concerns though? That basically, you know, we're saying that, but we're all you're also kind of recognising that women and men don't surf the same. So it's not fair having the one division.
3: There are girls out there that do surf as well as the guys. There is um, a girl that won a world title a few years ago who uh, goes by the name of Chelsea Williams. I spoke to her father and said, hey, this comp's coming up. And quite honestly, she's good enough to compete against the men uh, in an equal environment. But the field that's actually coming there's only a couple of girls there that Lucy has approached and said yeah they would come that really can match it in the conditions that uh, we we expect to have and against the guys we expect to or we were hoping to have if we had more time and more money and if there's a sponsor out there that wants to chuck some money in to do a separate girls division we're more than happy to talk to them we're more than happy to put it on.
0: Do you think it's been good having this discussion, though? That there, uh, you know, obviously some concerns that women surfers have in terms of how things are uh, maybe organised, how competitions are run. Do you think it's good that we're having this discussion?
3: I think being approached in the wrong way. I mean, the first contact Lucy had with me really was this morning. I mean, this blew up a few days ago, and uh, she approached when and approached the sponsor rather than coming to the, the event. Um, director. And shes it's not that we're trying to yeah, you know, just promote men or don't want to give equal time to the girls. That's just not true. We, we want to do a fair and equitable thing.
0: Do you think going forward, you're going to handle things differently? Like what about if you think ahead to next year's event? I mean, obviously there's got to be a serious consideration here.
3: If there's a sponsor out there that wants to chuck money at the event um, and yeah, have a women's division. At this stage, with what's happened, with the sponsor having been approached and now feeling very uncomfortable being put in this situation, there may not even be a pro division next year. So, yeah, it's far too early to tell. We're hoping that uh, we can generate some positive media attention out of this. Yeah, it's not a sexist thing. It's not a derogative thing. And if people are taking it that way, um, I can't help them.
0: All right, Sean McEwen from the Kira Longboard Classic, thanks very much for joining us on Hack.
3: Thanks very much and all the best.
0: We've got a lot of messages coming through. Someone says, If you're signing up to a mixed comp, don't get upset. It's mixed. You know what you're signing up for. If you don't like it, don't sign up. Just wait for a female-only competition. Someone else says... Open divisions in any sport have been a boys' club since the dawn of time because most female athletes feel intimidated. Funny, it's a political agenda when the tide turns. Look, there are so many uh, opinions here. People saying, you know, don't refer to them as girls when you're talking to them. Refer to them as women. You know, people say men when they're referring to the men, not boys. So let's refer to them as women. All right, time to move on. Hack.
4: There is no question that the barbaric and archaic use of spit hoods has no place in our community.
0: On Triple J. What do you know about spit hoods? There's been a fair bit written about them in the news in recent years, especially about them being used on young people in detention. Well, basically, a spit hood is a mask that can be pulled over someone's head and it looks like a sack with tiny holes in it that are supposed to help them breathe. They're designed to prevent someone from spitting or biting another person, but they're really controversial. Like earlier this year, the Australian Federal Police said that they weren't going to use them anymore after their own review found that there were too many risks, like there's a risk of suffocation. But right now, it's technically still legal for a spithood to be put on a child in Australia when they're taken into custody by police or strapped into a restraint chair. A lot of states and territories say they've got bans in place, but it's not necessarily backed up in law. And there's a big push for this to change. Miles Holbrook-Walk has been speaking to someone who has first-hand experiences of spithoods. Felt like I was getting kidnapped. I was
5: on a chair, tied up, strapped up, you know, in a chair. And then these guys just all surrounded me and then they started just holding my hands and my head and then they just put this mask over my face, dragged me down that
4: dark, eerie, long hallway. This is Marley. That's not his real name, but he wants to protect his privacy. He's 19 and has been in and out of jail most of his life. He's telling us what it's like to be covered with a spit hood.
5: Being in one of them chairs and having a spit mask over your face... Even at the age of 10, you know, witnessing them things and even having one of them things on your face, and still think about it till this day, it scares me, you know.
4: Marley's got a pretty full-on criminal history. He's been jailed for damaging property, assault and theft, among other things, over a five-year period. So he's pretty familiar with life behind bars. And he says it's time to get rid of spit hoods because they're just making kids more scared, more angry, and more likely to lash out.
5: A spit mask or a chair is not gonna settle a kid down. You need you need to sit down and talk to the kid, you know? Putting him in a cell and with a spit mask, tying him to a chair. That's not gonna that's not gonna settle him down.
4: So for the last six years in the Northern Territory, it's been against the law to use spit hoods in Juvie. But in watchhouses, which is where you go if you've been arrested and are being detained, it's actually not illegal there. Some people whose job it is to ensure the safety of children say they're worried spit hoods could now be used in watchhouses.
2: You've got children who have significant trauma impacts that are then being placed in such a inhibiting device that it just would exacerbate their mental health, their emotional and social well-being, their sense of safety.
4: Nicole Hux is the Acting Children's Commissioner in the NT. She says the laws are needed to make it clear spit hoods can't be used on children wherever they are.
2: There's always that ability to revoke and go back to usual practice based on worker safety, community safety, etc. However, with a legislated ban, it concretes things, it makes it more permanent. Police aren't
4: so sure. In a statement to Hack, the union representing police, the Northern Territory Police Association, says while there is a ban on using restraint chairs and spit hoods on kids in police custody, they argued against making that ban into a law and say, The reality is there are offenders who deliberately spit on police. And as long as that continues to happen, we will advocate for adequate protection of our members. Being spat on is not only a physical assault, but it also poses a serious health risk. Our members are exposed to dangerous, communicable diseases when they are spat on, which can lead to long periods of testing and treatment, causing undue stress and trauma for officers and their families. But the Children's Commissioner says that argument doesn't stack up.
2: Frontline health staff do not use spit hoods, they have used other de-escalation techniques and PPE as needed. Across the
4: country, we have a situation where pretty much everywhere says we're not going to use spit hoods in youth detention or on kids in general, but there's only one state which has made it against the law to use spit hoods in any setting, and that is in South Australia. Australian Human Rights Commissioner Lorraine Finlay says that makes it hard to know when spit hoods are being used. We need to be able to be absolutely sure
5: that this prohibition is applying across the board and in all circumstances.
4: The Human Rights Commission says we need an outright legal ban on spit hoods across the country.
5: And we need to make sure that we're enshrining in law the fact that spithoods should not be used anywhere in the country that it's not enough to simply recognise the issue. It's no longer enough to explore it or think about it. We actually
4: need to act and put this ban in place. We need to have law reform. Marley can't change what's happened to him, but he does want to speak out now to let people know what it's actually like to experience having a spit hood used on you.
5: My family cried for me when I got out of jail because I was a whole different person. I was never the same. I used to be a very angry person, you know. You wouldn't like it if it was your kid having a spit mask over your face or tied to a chair. They should just, you know, change the laws around. Hack on
0: Triple J. Miles Holbrook-Walk there. Got some messages coming through. We want to get into this a bit more with someone who knows the laws around this, who knows the research around it. LaToya Rule is a First Nations Research Associate. They're with the National Band Spithood Coalition and they're with me now. Hey, LaToya, welcome to Hack.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: The matter of spithoods is something pretty close to your heart, right? Can you tell us a bit about what happened to your brother in South Australia?
2: Sure. My brother Wayne Feller Morrison was brutally restrained with a spit hood. He was cuffed by his wrists and ankles and placed inside of a prison van by up to 14 officers and with a number of officers inside. He was then pulled out less than three minutes later, unconscious, and we had to turn off his life support machine. Since that moment, Our family have advocated to ban spit hoods by law in South Australia. It took a long, long time during the coronial inquest into Wayne's death. And sadly, we had to do that because outside of the NT, after we saw the Four Corners report with Dylan Voller, Um, That did not promote the type of advocacy that was necessary to stop people from dying through this restraint device. Two bills that went through South Australian Parliament for young people to be freed from these torturous devices failed in South Australian Parliament. Then my brother died. Right. So if those bills from the Northern Territory had been successful because of what we saw The brutality of what happened to Dylan Voller and others in Don Dale, my brother might still be alive today.
0: I mean, as I said a bit earlier, we've seen, you know, the AFP came out earlier this year and said, oh, we're not going to use spit hoods anymore after we did our own review and found the risk just didn't outweigh the benefit of using them. So there are places across the country saying we're not using them, but they're not technically illegal. Is that right?
2: That is correct. At this very moment, anybody on literally the side of the street uh, who would come in contact with police or any kind of other official who might use a spit hood um, can be hooded. And that includes you or I. So they are not banned in law anywhere except South Australia at the moment. The police and others have the right to punish us. We know that spit hoods are not only used in the ways that they are exclaiming their use, which is false. There is You know, enough evidence now to say, as Nicole Hux and others have exclaimed, that the the use of PPE is adequate, that police are already given. Just like doctors, nurses, we're already given these protective devices for us. Um, But that they're actually, spit hoods are actually being used also as punishment devices to allegedly calm people. But as we hear from young people who are speaking out about this, they're not calming anybody at all. They're actually feeling that they're being punished.
0: We've got some messages here. Someone says, when I was arrested a couple of years ago, they put me in a spit hood. You know, I, I did spit at police a couple of times and I think they did use it for their own protection. I honestly think the spit hood should probably be evolved but still kept in the law. And then we've got another person who says, spit hoods are horrible, but when you have someone biting their lips and, and, until they bleed and then spitting on you, what else can you do? What, what do you say to those people?
2: So, in South Australia, obviously the Lord's now changed to a legislated ban. That went through South Australian health, that went through experts globally, nationally, and in South Australia. If they thought the police commissioner, including the corrections minister, that spit hoods were useful for those purposes, they would have kept them. If police in South Australia and correctional officers in South Australia can admit that they do not need to use them and that they will seek the ban on them and that they will support the ban on them, then why can't the rest of Australia? We've
0: got messages here as well from people with different opinions. Someone says I'm a nurse and I'm sick of these cops using uh, their protection as an excuse for abuse. We manage violent and spitting patients without restraints. There needs to be proper training on how to de-escalate these situations. Latoya, do you know how do we know how much spit hoods are being used across the country?
2: We know, I can say, because actually statistics are not being kept which is another issue on the use and prevalence of spit hoods all the time in every place. But we do know since the death in custody of my brother spit hoods have been used multiple times across Australia and across the world. They have led to killings, they have led to deaths, they have been used to torture, they have been you know, explained in the same way as Guantanamo Bay-type devices. This is the kind of imagery that is presented to us when we're thinking about spit hoods. And sadly, since the 2021 ban on spit hoods in South Australia, by law, we have seen another death in Australia. Somewhere. We cannot call, like, we can't wait for another death.
0: How much hope do you have that we will see... Legal bans that these will be outlawed across the country, spit hoods?
2: I have incredible hope. We've been working with SCAG, the Standing Council of Attorneys General. We've been working with people like Northern Territory AG Chansey Paik, who we're calling on to table legislation to ban spit hoods by law. But SCAG is having their meeting soon in the next month, and we call on them to continue to consider a nationally coordinated legislated ban on spit hoods, as they've said they will do.
0: And just quickly, LaToya, if we've got uh, people saying and uh, authorities saying, oh, we're not, there's a ban in place, we're not using them, isn't that good enough? Why do we need to go the extra step with the law?
2: Should we trust police from what they've done to us? I mean, they turn off their video cameras, they turn off their CCTV. CCTV footage, that, I don't trust police and that's all I've got to say.
0: All right, LaToya Rule from the National Band Spit Hood Coalition. Thank you very much for coming on Hack.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And we've got some messages coming through. Someone says, why don't the police wear them instead? Then they'll be protected from spitting. That was from Ed in Warwick. Another person says, if they're not using spit hoods in mental health, they shouldn't be used in any setting. And someone else says they don't restrain compliant offenders. That was from Kel in Melbourne. Look, there are a lot of opinions on this. We'll definitely keep following it up. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.